Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to the show. It's a debate breakdown show. Um, there were quite a few surprises last night. Quite a few surprises. Some people performed better than you would have thought. Some people absolutely shit the bed. Um, some people were slow and steady, running a marathon and not a sprint. So um, I have way more segments than I originally planned for. I originally thought, like, okay, maybe we'll do, like, ten segments based on the debate. It's, like, 13. So I have a lot of stuff to get to and not all that much time. By the way, um, I was live tweeting the debates last night at Kyle Kalinske on Twitter. You guys can uh, follow along, watch, and, and follow along with the madness. I thoroughly enjoyed live-tweeting the debate. I will enjoy probably even more live-tweeting the debate tonight because America's dad, Bernie Sanders, is in the debate tonight, as well as handsy Uncle Joseph Biden, and um, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. I'm sure Biden will stick his foot in his mouth 18 times. I'm sure Bernie will talk about policy substance until he's blue in the face, um, and all the other people on stage curious how they perform. I think Yang will do well. Um, so there's going to be a lot of stuff to talk about. There's another show tomorrow at, uh, two o'clock Eastern time. And, um, let's dive right into it because like I said, there's so much to get to. And, um, I don't even know if I'll be able to squeeze it all in, but I'm going to try my darndest. Here we go. First, the breakdown. So last night was part one of a two part debate series that's happening on NBC news and MSNBC. Um, on stage, we had the people over my left shoulder. We had Elizabeth Warren, Beta O'Rourke, um, Julian Castro, John Delaney, Cory Booker. Why am I blanking on his name? Um, Jay Inslee, Bill de Blasio, uh, Amy Klobuchar, Tim Ryan, and Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, tonight, if you're watching this, the day that this video is released, then tonight we have uh, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, Andrew Yang, and many others. But this was part one of the debate. It was all these people uh, over my left shoulder here. And uh, a lot of interesting stuff happened. So I want to give you, before I get into specific clips, and by the way, I have a lot of them, um, I just want to give you my general debate breakdown, my initial thoughts. I've now watched the debate twice, 
once once live as I was, you know, tweeting along with it, and then um, once just before I started doing this show uh, for show prep. So I watched it twice. Uh, I've now, you know, thoroughly digested what happened, and um, I've formed what my thoughts are on it. So first, let's go to the biggest losers. Now, in my opinion, and this one is eh, a little bit controversial because some people do disagree with me on this. So this one's not unanimous. This one is not like everybody saying it. But in my opinion, I think uh, Amy Klobuchar is one of the biggest losers. Uh, Now, the reason I say that is it was just she was flat. She was flat the whole night, and um, there was nothing at all that stuck out to me. It's not even like she was flat, but she was saying some things that were good. It was just flat, and she was saying things that were me. So uh, I'm not too surprised by Amy Klobuchar uh, flopping. I honestly believe that in a different political era, uh, she'd have a chance. But, you know, it's no longer the 1980s. This kind of politician is done. And the funniest thing she said was, you know, I'm not, the, I'm not uh, an establishment candidate or I'm not the establishment candidate. She was try- trying to act like she's an outsider. And that's hilarious because she's, you know, a hardcore centrist corporatist. So she is one of the establishment candidates. She represents that ideology. She represents that philosophy. So she was one of the biggest losers. On my list of biggest losers here, that's the most controversial one because I have seen some people disagree with me on that, but that's my takeaway. Um, Now, these next two are, I think, tied, in my opinion, for just worst of the worst, you know, almost unanimous. Everything I've seen about them agrees. Beto O'Rourke and John Delaney. Ugh, it was terrible. John Delaney um, arrogantly thinks he's nailing it every time he talks, but it's like nails on a chalkboard every time he talks. Not only is his personality insufferable, also the stuff he says is stupid. He's like proudly repping that centrist badge and attacking Medicare for all and acting like, you know, he's so smug and condescending and he interjected and cut people off a thousand times and he would run into a brick wall because the moderators would stop him. Pretty much unanimous. Everybody thinks John Delaney did poorly. Now, I polled you guys who you think the worst, uh, who did the worst, and you all thought Beto O'Rourke did the worst. Yeah, I think it's a tie between Beto and John Delaney. Beto was, the entire night, he looked nervous. You know, it's totally understandable that the first five minutes, first ten minutes, or maybe your first answer or something, you're nervous because it's a, it's a big deal. You're, you know on a stage in front of millions of people watching from home. It's a Democratic debate. It's the first one. But he never settled in, and he never looked comfortable. He always looked nervous. He always looked on edge. And then you could see the nervousness in his eyes. But as he was massively nervous, he was also trying to counteract that by being sounding more and more like a standard politician. Like he was doing his talking points. And I tweeted as I was watching it, it, it always seems like when Beto talks, He's trying to build to some grand crescendo, but it never comes because he says absolutely nothing. (laughs) So everybody agrees that Beto did poorly. His worst moment was, and I'm going to cover this one in its own segment because it was that funny. I'm going to show you the clip later on, but his worst segment was he was asked about uh, whether or not the top marginal tax rate should be 70%. I think that's a pretty good question, okay? You know what his response was? To say the economy should work for everybody. And then he goes on to speak in Spanish. 
it came across as like pure pandering. Like, yeah, I'm going to dodge it, and yeah, I'm going to be a standard politician, and yeah, I'm also going to try to score, like, virtue-signaling brownie points by speaking Spanish, and I'm hoping that that will override the fact that I didn't answer the question, because I'm probably not going to do dick when it comes to raising taxes on the rich. So he did terrible. Those were the three biggest losers. Now, before I get to the biggest winners, let me give you um, the notables and tell you what happened with them. When I say notables, I mean kind of like, middle ground uh, type characters here. So Tim Ryan actually started off really strong. And for a while, he was maybe one of the leaders in the debate. Like he was doing that well. And then he ran into a brick wall called Tulsi Gabbard. And she destroyed him on the issue of Afghanistan and on war to the point where he went from being one of the better debaters to being one of the losers. Now, the reason I didn't put him among the actual biggest losers Amy Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, and John Delaney, is because I felt like they did worse than Tim Ryan. At least Tim Ryan had like half a debate where he was doing well, and then he you know, shit himself and gave it all away at the end. But at least he had moments where you can go, oh, okay, he did a good job there. Um, now, Jay Inslee was notable because I think he actually did a good job, but he spoke the least amount of everybody on stage, and I think it came across that way. Like, he did the most with the little he spoke, but he's not going to leave a lasting impression on people because he didn't speak enough. He just didn't. And that's, by the way, that's the reality of it. They actually released the amount of time that each candidate spoke, and dead last was uh, Jay Inslee. So I think he did a good job, and he's a better candidate than I thought, but he just didn't speak enough. So, you know, I don't think he helped his campaign. I don't think he hurt his campaign. But when you're polling at 1%, you got to help your campaign. So, you know, we'll see what happens with him, but uh, that's what I thought happened with Jay Inslee. Now, Booker and Castro, they're interesting cases because there are many people who say Cory Booker did well, and there are many people who say Julian Castro did well, including many of the people in my own audience. Here's what I'll say about them. They didn't do any damage to their campaign. They just didn't, you know, and it's funny because when you put – Beto O'Rourke and John Delaney under pressure, they appear nervous and they appear even more awkward. When you put uh, Cory Booker and Julian Castro under pressure, they didn't appear as awkward as they usually seem. Like, usually they are just, I mean, Cory Booker and his dad jokes and he just comes across in a creepy way. Julian Castro with his, you know, I'm a standard policy politician shtick, which is so infuriating and annoying, and he's always on script. But during this debate, they didn't do poorly. Now, the reason why I don't put them among the biggest winners is because they still said nothing of substance. And when you say nothing of substance, I'm not going to put you among the winners because you didn't say anything of substance. (laughs) You didn't say anything that leaves a long impact on people. You didn't have any one-line zingers. Um, You didn't carve a path for yourself as the person who's all about X, fill in the blank, whatever X may be. No, you just kind of talked a lot and didn't hurt yourself, but didn't really help yourself. And um, even though they performed in a solid way and in a smooth way, it just wasn't enough for me to walk away going, oh, wow, did they do well. Again, they didn't hurt themselves, but, you know, I don't think they helped themselves too much. Will, is it possible that one of them or both of them Uh, gets a slight bump out of this debate? Sure. 
but is it possible that they're, you know, they've launched themselves into the conversation among the real leaders in this race? I don't think that's the case yet. I could be wrong, but, you know, that's, that's my sense of it. Okay, now um, the biggest winners. First and foremost, I'm going to go Tulsi. I will say this, though. She started very slow. And, in fact, if you asked me halfway through the debate, I would have said flat out she's not doing well. I said going into the debate she had to be aggressive. She was not aggressive for at least half the debate. And when you're polling at 1%, you have to be aggressive. You have to make a name for yourself. You have to, you know, carve a path as somebody who belongs in the, in the conversation about who should really become the Democratic presidential nominee. Now, having said that, even though she started slow, she ended super strong, really strong. She absolutely obliterated Tim Ryan on the issue of Afghanistan to the point where I think, I think it almost makes up for the fact that she started super slow. Like, that's almost totally forgotten because she was swinging a, a hatchet at his face and everybody noticed. And also, there are some metrics to say that she did well in the debate because all the snap polls happening after the debate had Tulsi winning. I'll show you one of those in a little bit. Um, but also, she was like the number one searched candidate of all the candidates on stage. So, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. It shows people are interested. Like, ooh, who's this? What's she saying? So I think she did great on the issue of war. I would advise her moving forward, though. You can't start slow anymore in these debates. You have to come out hard. You have to come out swinging and, and be aggressive. And um, what you did with Tim Ryan on the issue of Afghanistan, you have to do with every issue, not just war, but rep that lefty position on every issue. And don't be afraid to slap around the media a little bit because they smear Tulsi all the time. And she doesn't really respond in a way that I think makes sense to kind of put them in their place and reframe everything. So I would tell Tulsi, be a little meaner, be a little more aggressive, assert yourself more. Um, one thing I didn't like about her approach, especially for the first half of the debate, every time she spoke, there was, it took her a long time to say what she was trying to say. And when you have, you're in a debate with ten people, nine other candidates around you, and you have limited time, you've got to get your points out, and you've got to get them out quick. And you can't, it just came across as, it didn't jive with me at the beginning how she was talking and what she was saying. But then towards the end, she made up for it, and she did a good job. So I do think she's one of the biggest winners, but I'd put her at third in terms of biggest winners. Um, now, the other big winners, Elizabeth Warren. That's slightly overstating it to say she's a big winner, but here's the deal. Of those candidates on stage, she was leading in the polls of those candidates on stage. So in a way, she could get away with, like, protecting that lead a little bit, and she did exactly that. I mean, it was a very solid, um, you know, a very solid performance. It wasn't – she didn't say any one thing that made me go, oh, she knocked it out of the park. But at the same time, she didn't say anything at all that made me go, oh, that's a bad answer, and Liz is hurting herself there. So, yeah, I think she did a good job. I think she did a solid job. I think that um, she maybe the, a criticism of her that's fair is she still leaned a little too much on the wonky side and the technocratic side and not enough on the side of, like, a swashbuckling populist. But having said that, that is who Elizabeth Warren is. She is a wonky technocrat. She's not as much of a Bernie Sanders-style swashbuckling populist. Um, but certainly she's not going to slip in the polls after this. At, at worst, she'll stay the same, but I think at best she might actually bump up a little bit. 
because she did, and I hate to use this term because I personally don't care about this metric, but she did come across as presidential, you know, and are there some people who are going to want that kind of politician in the age of Trump? Sure. People are going to want temperamentally that kind of a break from Trump. Um, now, substantively, and that's, that's what matters the most, the policy substance is what matters the most, but she did kind of plant her flag as, yes, I'm going to rep a lefty position. You're not going to see me, you know, sprint to the center. Medicare for All was an interesting topic where she said, I agree with Bernie Sanders, but the details of the question on that was really sketchy. We're going to get to that later, and I'll talk about that in detail. But she was one of the, I think, one of the biggest winners because she just did no damage, and when you're leading, just doing no damage is actually fine, and she was leading of the candidates on stage. So Tulsi, Elizabeth Warren, these are two big winners. Um, and the final big winner, Bill de Blasio. Now, I am patting myself on the back massively because I called this in my, um, you know, debate breakdown video, my pre-debate breakdown video. I said that of these candidates on stage, I, you know, I want Tulsi to do well and I want Elizabeth Warren to do well. And I said, Tulsi's got to be aggressive. And I said, Bill de Blasio is probably going to surprise some people because um, when he ran for New York City mayor, he ran as a super far lefty and he was not playing around. Now, of course, I contend that Bill de Blasio was kind of a fraud because um, in 2016, he backed Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders in the primary, which is just insanity. You can't pretend like you're this super far lefty and you back the most establishment candidate of all time. But he did, yet again, do that convincing tap dance of like, yeah, I'm, I'm a candidate that's viable and I'm a force to be reckoned with. And I think he definitely helped himself here. I think he definitely gave himself a little bit of a bump. He had one answer that was super cringeworthy on, like, the biggest threat to the country. He said Russia, and it was just gross. But virtually everything else he said was solid, and he's a good debater, and he's a strong speaker, and I think he helped himself out. So that's my general debate breakdown. Um, I'm sure there's going to be agreement and disagreement among you guys. A lot of people are convinced that Castro did really well in particular, um, and a lot of people are convinced that Beto was way worse than Delaney. But, yeah, that's my debate breakdown there. Now... Stay tuned because I'm about to get into a bunch of specific segments, and they are awesome. Okay. Let's go to the weirdest moments first. All right, so here we go. Uh, first part of the two-part Democratic debate happened uh, yesterday, last night, and I want to show you the funniest and weirdest moments. This was all spliced together. Credit to the LA Times for making um, about half of this video, and then a Twitter user named Jason Howerton um, for the other half of this video. Take a look. Why these people are coming to our country and what are we going to do to actually make a difference in these countries? Congressman, you 
you they pan to the candidates on stage, and they're all just standing there awkwardly like. So apparently whatever technical problem they had, the people on stage weren't even able to hear Rachel Maddow and Chuck Todd. What? <laughs> so they had to cut to another break, and they came back. Of course, Donald Trump pounced on that, was making fun of them. Look, the technical problems are the least of the issues with um, the network hosting it and with the moderators. They framed almost every question from a right-wing perspective. There were only a handful of decent questions. Most of the questions were framed from a right-wing perspective, and it was gross. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Um, But, yeah, these were the awkward moments. The random Spanish, which was just an over-the-top attempt at pandering. Uncle Dick, (laughs) which is never not going to be funny. And uh, Delaney being railroaded. Okay, now let's go to that specific moment of um, the uh, failure of Bet on My Stork. So Beto O'Rourke dodged a very specific question in a way that was hilarious and silly and ruthlessly mocked online. Take a look at this. Some Democrats want a marginal individual tax rate of 70% on the very highest earners, those making more than $10 million a year. Would you support that? And if not, what would your top individual rate be? This economy has got to work for everyone. And right now we know that it isn't. And it's going to take all of us coming together to make sure that it does. Necesitamos incluir cada persona en el éxito de esta economía. Pero si queremos hacer eso, necesitamos incluir cada persona en nuestra democracia. Uh, cada, votar, ca- cada votante necesitamos la representación y cada voz necesitamos escuchar. Dude. <laughs> That was a bad idea, man. That was a bad idea. Everybody on Twitter was like, what are you doing, bro? What are you doing? That almost, That's like a perfect encapsulation of the left argument against identity politics. Because what do lefties say? Oftentimes, identity politics is used as a shield, and you deflect from the conversation about serious policy issues by just like, you know, interjecting something about race or gender or just identity in general so that you don't have to talk about the policy thing because you think you're outlefting people simply by bringing up the identity thing. So here, Better O'Rourke is basically trying to be like, hey, 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 forget about the fact that I didn't answer the question about a 70% top marginal tax rate because I don't want there to be a 70% top marginal tax rate, and I don't want to raise taxes on the rich probably at all. Um, I'm speaking Spanish. I'm speaking Spanish. Do I get my social brownie points? Do I get my social brownie points? <laughs> I'll be the, the virtue signaler in chief. <laughs> Everybody I saw on Twitter was like, oh, what are you doing, bro? Here's, 
here's the deal. If you're going to dodge a question, you have to be artful in how you do it. You can't, hey, should there be a 70% top marginal tax rate? You know, I think this uh, economy, as I do my Obama impression, which is also my better O'Rourke impression, uh, the economy has to work for everybody. Necesito escamos. <laughs> you have to say something like, you know, that's a good question, and I don't have an exact answer to that right now, but what I will tell you is the rich have to be paying more in taxes. You could say something like that. You know, I'm not sure what the exact rate should be at this point in time, but I will say that the top marginal tax rate has to go up because right now, you know, they're paying significantly less than they have in decades. I don't know. Say something like that. He couldn't do it. He couldn't bring himself to do it. He had to pander. He went right to pandering. Went right by the question and went right to pandering. Nobody's going to like that, man. Nobody's going to hear that and go, like, what do you think? People are that incapable of independent thought well, they'll, where they'll just be like, ah, you know, I didn't like the answer, but then he started speaking Spanish. So I am totally for this guy. Yeah. Nobody's going to do that, man. Nobody's going to do that. I think this definitely hurt him with more people than it helped him, helped him with. And it appeared unanimous on Twitter, again, that um, he did the worst of everybody. And then he went on some news show afterwards, and said he, ga- he gives his performance an A. Bro, you're going to go down in the polls now. Like, not only are you not going to get a bump, and you need a bump, you're going to go down in the polls, dog. You're going down. Ugh. You know, Beto really could have won a Senate seat. I think John Cornyn is, is done. He's retiring. He really could have won a Senate seat. He almost beat Ted Cruz. So he could have run for the Senate again and likely won, had a really good shot. But no, his giant ego made him jump into the presidential race. And now he's lighting his political career on fire. Dude, he has really bad instincts. He has really bad political instincts. You could tell he's like clinging to that politician's persona as he talks. Like, if I just keep pretending that I'm this thing, then maybe people will like me. No, man, we see right through you. It is honestly time to start making the Beta O'Rourke, Martin O'Malley comparison because that's who he's reminding me of now. Martin O'Malley in 2016 overcoached, always sounded on script, super fake, very standard politician-like. That's Beta O'Rourke, but the thing is Martin O'Malley never had a moment in the sun. He was always flailing and doing terrible in the polls. Beta O'Rourke had that launch where corporate media tried to shove him down our throats like he's awesome and we're going to love him. And then all it took was like a month or two of hearing this guy talk, and everybody was like, oh, no, what have you done? Stop it. Stop talking. Ugh, gross. What are you doing? So, yeah. Beto, first of all, answer the question. You can answer the question. Even if you have no answer, you can answer the question. That still would have been more honest. So, first of all, answer the question. Second of all, don't do that. If you're going to dodge, you have to be artful in how you dodge, and you have to not try to score the cheap pandering points. All right, now let's go to the Medicare for All trick question. So MSNBC asked a trick question on the issue of Medicare for All. 
Um, now, a lot of the questions during this debate were trick questions, and what I mean by that is they're framed from a far right-wing perspective, or they or they misstate some facts and then try to get the candidates to respond as if the things they said were facts. So um, this was probably the worst example of this, and I have to say I'm really disheartened because so many people who know better were duped by this. Watch. Many people watching at home have health insurance coverage through their employer. Who here would abolish their private health insurance in favor of a government-run plan? Just a show of hands to start off with. No, 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 no. Now, let me explain the trick to you. See, See, there's no winning here. There's no winning here. Here's why. The question was, who here would abolish private health insurance for, you know, a a government-run single-payer system? Who would, quote, abolish private insurance? That was the question. Abolish private insurance. You know what bill abolishes private insurance? None of them. None of them. There are multiple single-payer Medicare for All bills that have been proposed. None of them abolish private insurance. In fact, the bills go out of their way to say, we are not abolishing private health insurance. So the trick was in the framing. The framing is they make it seem like that's hand-in-hand, like, oh, if you're for Medicare for All, that's hand-in-hand with abolishing all private insurance. So if you raise your hand, then you lose, because then what you're saying is you're in favor of abolishing all private insurance which no bill is in favor of. And by the way, if you poll the American people, they are not in favor of it. That's not a popular position. Um, You're giving the Republicans for the general election a fucking bat with spikes on it to knock you over the head with. And guess what? It'll stick because that is a step too far that people are not in favor of to say, I want to abolish all private insurance. So you're heading a giant political victory over to the right if you put your hand up. But if you keep your hand down then people are going to say, oh, you're not in favor of Medicare for all. It was a trick question. Now, I don't know if they did it on purpose. I don't think they did it on purpose. I just think they're really not educated on the topic, and they just fall for the partisan right-wing insane, incorrect trick framing. But either way, the effect of it was disastrous, because then, exactly as you would expect, is what happened. So people started saying, well, Tulsi didn't put her hand up. She said that she was in favor of Medicare for All. I guess she's not in favor of Medicare for All. And other people started, you know, praising Elizabeth Warren and saying, oh, I guess she is for Medicare for All. But no, she just raised her hand for also abolishing private insurance, which is not in Medicare for All, and that goes too far. And there are people who are going to attack her over that and say, whoa, you're out of step with the majority of the American people. So what should you have done? Well, the answer is pretty straightforward. It's not like you're not allowed to respond to the media and tell them, hey, that's bullshit what you just did right there. You know who does that all the time? Republicans. You know who does that all the time? Donald Trump. So it is astounding to me that 10 people are on fucking stage and not a single one of them was like, whoa, 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 that's a totally misleading question because Medicare for all doesn't abolish all private health insurance. Now, let me be clear about the details of this. Medicare for all, when we roll out Medicare for all, is it true that 90 to 95 percent, maybe even more of the private health insurance companies will basically end up going away 
because they can't compete with Medicare for All, Medicare for All is just better? Absolutely. But there's a big difference between basically phasing something out because it's old and stupid and dumb and it's predatory and it doesn't work and, quote, abolishing it. Those are two very different things. One of those things the American people are totally on board with and totally cool with and happy about. The other one is sounds extreme and goes too far. People have a knee-jerk reaction of like, ooh, abolish. I don't know about all that. That goes a little too far. So, yes, under Medicare for All, probably over 95% of the health insurance companies, as they exist right now, are gone. And that's a good thing. But you will always be able to get what's called supplemental private insurance. So what that means is, um, like, you don't, for example, under Medicare for All, it won't necessarily cover, like, plastic surgery and certain elective procedures. Yeah, if you want to get supplemental private insurance and get that taken care of, by all means, go right ahead. Um, under Medicare for All system, they ban what's called uh, duplicative care. So, in other words, if something can get covered under Medicare for All, you can't go, like, oh, I'm going to get this this other health insurance, which is going to fucking rip me off to give me the same, you know, procedure or whatever it might be that I could get under the Medicare for All system, that is banned, but that's par for the course. That's, I, I don't know anybody who's in favor of Medicare for All who doesn't know that and doesn't expect that. It's, it's a matter of the framing of it. When you concede and say, yes, Medicare for All, by definition, abolishes all private insurance, you just gave the right wing a, a giant gift and... Um, you made it a lot harder to sell an issue that we're already winning on with 70% of the American people. So I don't, nobody did the right thing there. Tulsi keeping her hand down was dumb because people are going to say you're not in favor of Medicare for all. And she had to anticipate that. And Elizabeth Warren putting her hand up was dumb because then people are going to say you're in favor of abolishing all private health insurance. And that's wrong. So no, the answer is, and Ro Khanna does this better than anybody else under a Medicare for all system. Yes. Most private health insurance companies would end up phasing out of existence because Medicare for All would just be better. You would get better care and it would cost less and you won't need these predators, um, you know, on your back. Yes, that's the case. But also, you will have supplemental private care if you want it. So don't fall for the trick. Ro Khanna tweeted about this today and he said the exact same thing I'm saying. Don't fall for the trick. Under Bernie's Medicare for All system, under Medicare for All, the default system is everybody's covered and you pay less, and it's a better system. It's a single-payer system. It's a government insurance system. It catches us up to the rest of the industrialized world. But, yes, you have that option of supplemental private insurance if you want it. So I was just really astounded. I'm really pissed at the host for this question, and I'm really pissed at everybody's response there because I think Elizabeth Warren was told by her advisors, hey, listen, the left flank of the party doesn't like that you've been waffling on Medicare for all. So she wanted to plant a flag and say, no, I'm going to now rep this. But in the process of doing it, she was a bull in a china shop, and she didn't realize, like, what she just agreed to. Like, yeah, get rid of all private health insurance. De Blasio, too, wanted to rep the left flank of the party. So he's like, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, put my hand up. But none of you guys did the right thing. The only right answer there is to correct the framing of the question because the framing was grossly misleading and wrong and from a far-right perspective. John Delaney has been going around all across the country saying, why do Democrats have to be running on abolishing all private health insurance? And the fucking host on NBC just lent credence to his lie, because that's a lie. It doesn't ban all private health insurance. But now you're, you're, this lie is just floating around. It's like when people say, like, the Democrats are running on open borders. No, they're not. You just made that up. None of them are running on open borders. You just made it up. 
But these lies float around and they're not rebutted in it. And it makes it like you're letting dumb people and ignorant people and lying people craft the message of who they think you are. Like you're letting all, people who are wrong define you and you're walking right into the trap. So I don't like how anybody handled that. You're not going to see me over defend Tulsi for not putting her hand up, and you're not going to see me defend Warren for putting her hand up. They're both wrong. You have to, like, uh, like these, the details are so important on this because that's everything in the framing of the debate. Those details are everything in the framing of the debate. And when you're not willing to, to check them on that, well, then it's so easy to lose the political fight. So I did not like this at all, and shame on NBC and shame on everybody on that stage, nobody for correcting them. Um, this really does a disservice to the left. Okay, now we'll go to Bill de Blasio. So one of my weirder predictions in my pre-debate breakdown involved Bill de Blasio, and I said the following. The big winners, I think what we're going to see is, um, I don't know, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, because I just don't know how Elizabeth Warren is going to do. I think Tulsi will do well, but I think she has to be aggressive in order to make a name for herself and not you know, do any sort of political calculation, which oftentimes she doesn't, so she might be good in that sense, but she, I would tell her you have to be aggressive. I think that it, it'll, be a, it'll be a random surprise, man. I think that we might be walking away going, like, Bill de Blasio held his own. Like, there's going to be a, a, a surprise. It ain't going to be Cory Booker. It ain't going to be Bet on my stork. It ain't going to be Julian Castro. It's possible it's Elizabeth Warren. Um... I think I think there's a chance that Bill de Blasio will, you know, perform better in the debates than he is as a candidate. Now, will that reflect in the polls afterwards in terms of him getting an actual bump from the debates? That's yet to be seen. And honestly, even if he does get a bump, what are we talking about? He goes from 0% to 3%? Wow. But, yeah, I think it's going to be a random surprise winner of that first debate. Um, I think either... Tulsi or, like, Bill de Blasio will stand out, and then also Elizabeth Warren is a 50-50 proposition. Yeah, well, that's exactly what happened. Bill de Blasio was the biggest surprise in terms of candidate who held his own. Now, there was one absolutely grotesque answer where, you know, they were asked, what's the biggest threat to the U.S.? And he, he said, Russia cheap applause line people in the audience liked it but it's just a disgusting and incorrect answer and i hated it but outside of that he really had um some strong moments so let me show you one of those here this country because look at the bottom line here those tragic that tragic photo of those that parent that child and i'm saying this as a father Every American should feel that in their heart. Every American should say, that is not America. Those are not our values. But we have to get under the skin of why we have this crisis in our system, because we're not being honest 
about the division that's been fomented in this country, the way that American citizens have been told that immigrants somehow created their misery and their pain and their challenges. For all the American citizens out there who feel you're falling behind, who feel the American dream's not working for you, the immigrants didn't do that to you. The big corporations did that to you. The one percent did that to you. We need to be the party of working people, and that includes the party of immigrants. But first, we have to tell working people in America who are hurting that we're going to be on their side every single time against those big corporations who created this mess to begin with. And remind people we're all in this together. If we don't change that debate, that politics that's holding us back, we won't get all these reforms people are talking about. That's what we need to do as Democrats. There was a lot of that throughout the night. A lot of, like, strong, persuasive arguments like that that he made. And, um... He definitely led the charge, man. He did that on the War Powers Act and foreign policy. He did that on Medicare for All, um, although he did walk into the trap with Elizabeth Warren of the misframed question. But putting that aside, there was a lot of that. He definitely surprised a lot of people. Now, again, what I said previously, I still think is correct. Is he going to get a bump? Yeah, maybe. But I don't know how big it'll be because he was polling so low to begin with. So I really don't know. But that shows he's a force. Bill de Blasio can play politics with the best of them. He can make an argument with the best of them. And he sounded most engaged of everybody on stage. It was a good performance. It really was. Um, I don't know, man. The, the debate and the election is wide open. It is wide open. And it's just it's too soon to tell how it's all going to unfold. But... He came out of nowhere. He's making arguments that the left wants to hear. He's doing it in a better way than most candidates. And the problem is, he's just a fraud. <laughs> like, again, the point I always go back to with Bill de Blasio is he ran a super progressive campaign when he became mayor of New York City. And then in the 2016 Democratic presidential primary, he endorsed Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders. You can't have it both ways. Either you endorse Hillary Clinton, which means you're more centrist, or you endorse Bernie, which means you're a lefty. To endorse Hillary over Bernie, the most centrist establishment candidate over the most progressive non-establishment candidate, you're showing your cards. So I don't care what you say. I care what you do. Now, has he done some decent things in New York City? Yes, he has. Um, but is that enough to make up for the sin of picking Hillary over Bernie? Not when you have Elizabeth Warren in the race, not when you have Bernie Sanders in the race, not when you have Tulsi Gabbard in the race, because they are, their records are significantly better than Bill de Blasio. Um, but having said that, it was a strong performance, and I don't know the details, I don't know how many people know the details of Bill de Blasio to begin with, so if they're unaware of that, then yeah, it could get interesting. So very curious to keep an eye on those polls to see if there is a, a bump for him afterwards. Um, it's possible, but again, he's got a lot of work to do to make up for how behind he is. But this was a good start, and that's pretty much universally recognized. Everybody who I saw talk about this debate kind of admitted that, yep, de Blasio seemed to do maybe the best of everybody on stage. At, at worst, just top three.
All right, let's go to Elizabeth Warren. I'll give you her one of her best moments. So Elizabeth Warren had a solid debate. Um, I want to give you one of her best moments here. Now, this was very early on. Take a look, and then we'll discuss. Senator Warren, I mentioned you. Are you picking winners and losers? So the way I understand it is there is way too much consolidation now in giant industries in this country. That hurts workers. It hurts small businesses. It hurts independent farmers. It hurts our economy overall. And it helps constrict real innovation and growth in this economy. Now, look, we've had the wars out there for a long time to be able to fight back. What's been missing is courage. Courage in Washington to take on the giants. That's part of the corruption in this system. It has been far too long that the monopolies have been making the campaign contributions, have been funding the super PACs, have been out there making sure that their influence is heard and felt in every single decision that gets made in Washington. Where I want to start this is I want to return government to the people, and that means calling out the names of the monopolists and saying I have the courage to go after them. Thank you. So I feel like that clip was very indicative of her entire night. In my opinion, Warren was just slow and steady all night. You know, some people think she just totally knocked it out of the park. I don't agree with that. Um, But I definitely don't think she did any damage. And I think she was slow and steady. Um, Pretty much every time she opened her mouth, it was something substantive and something pretty wonky. Um, I don't think she's the best speaker of everybody on stage. But it, I don't know how much that matters when you're already leading of, the, of all the people on stage. So she, it's almost like a protect your lead kind of situation where she's playing defense and she's just like, slow and steady. I'm going to bring up some substance every time I talk. Um, I might not be the most passionate. I might not have the best delivery. I might not be the most um, populist of everybody here. But slow and steady, I'm going to hit you with substance and we're just going to move along here. We're just going to keep it moving. We're all business. So that clip, I feel like, is very indicative of her entire night. Some people said that they think their best, that her best moment was putting her hand up on the issue of uh, Medicare for All. I do not think that's her best moment because, again, the question was a trick question, and it was framed in a way that was total and utter bullshit, where they tried to make it appear like, oh, if you're for Medicare for All, you have to be for banning all private health insurance. And that's a complete false dichotomy, and it's a trap that they walked into. Because now you handed a giant political gift to the right. If you become the nominee in the general election, they'll hit you over the head with that. And it might work because that's not Medicare for all. And that makes it seem like the left goal is to be against something, not for something. The left goal is for Medicare for all. It's not, you don't have to abolish all private health insurance in order to do that. You can still have supplemental private health insurance. Many countries with single payer have supplemental private health insurance. When you go that extra step, that detail is actually very important because now you get to be framed by the right as anti-freedom. So that's not good. So that's not her best moment, in my opinion. And she didn't even correct the moderator when he framed the question in that gross way. She tried to plant the flag and say, yes, I'm a left candidate. I'm with Bernie Sanders on this. But you still walked into the trap. I said the same thing about Bernie. The few times he answered the question and he didn't specify, like, no, supplemental private health insurance is fine. But Bernie has since course corrected on that, and he's been saying that more now. So it's good that Bernie's got that framing down. But Elizabeth Warren needs to learn that same framing as well. And, um... She brought up corruption, she brought up Wall Street, she brought up special interests, she brought up um, 
powerful corporations and tax dodging. This was the theme she kept coming back to. So in other words, she kind of stayed in her wheelhouse. Her wheelhouse is domestic policy, tax policy, Wall Street policy, that kind of stuff. And she kept kind of going back to that. And that's going to work for her. That's good for her. So again, my breakdown of Elizabeth Warren's performance is just kind of slow and steady, solid, nothing too flashy, nothing too spectacular. But she really did all that she needed to do, which is kind of solidify her position as one of the top people in this race. All right, let's go to Tim Ryan, and I'll show you how he started. So the most up-and-down performance of the night, I would argue, is probably Tim Ryan, because he started really strong. He started fast, and then he ran into a brick wall called Tulsi Gabbard. Now, we're going to get to there back and forth soon, and boy, is it a good one. Um, but here I want to show you uh, Ryan's best moment, so you see what I mean when I say he was doing well at the beginning. We could talk about climate, we could talk about guns, we could talk about all of these issues that we all care about. We have a perception problem with the Democratic Party. We are not connecting to the working class people in the very states that I represent in Ohio, in the industrial Midwest. We've lost all connection. We have got to change the center of gravity of the Democratic Party from being coastal and illegal, elitist and Ivy League, which is the perception, to somebody from the forgotten communities that have been left behind for the last 30 years, to get those workers back on our side so we can say we're going to build electric vehicles, we're going to build solar panels. But if you want to beat Mitch McConnell, this better be a working class party if you want to go into Kentucky and take his rear end out. And if you want to take Lindsey Graham out, you got to have a blue collar party that can go into the textile communities in South Carolina. So all I'm, all I'm saying here, all I'm saying here, all I'm saying here, all I'm saying here is we don't address that fundamental problem with our connection to workers, white, black, brown, gay, straight, working class people. None of this is going to get done, Chuck. So that was solid. That was solid. Now, I will say it's a little misleading because his answer is centrism. So in other words, he's saying, yeah, we got to fight and we got to make this a workers party again. We got to fight for the forgotten and the working people and we got to do right by them. He's saying all that stuff, but he's a centrist. So my response to Tim Ryan would be, yeah, dude, the way to get those workers is populism. And who's the most uh, populist candidate? Bernie Sanders. So, yeah, the way to win those working class voters back is not, it's not just about geography, like, oh, you represent one of those states, therefore, you know, you're the best to represent them. No, it's not about that's where you're from. It's about which ideas would help those people the most. And the ideas are lefty ideas, are populist ideas. So you don't get to say, like, oh, I'm all for those working people, and then do a bait and switch and push for centrism, because that actually hurts, hurts those people more. Now, to be fair to Tim Ryan, on very narrow issues, he's good. So, you know, unsurprisingly, on, uh, on trade, he's good. Why? Because trade has devastated that region, and nobody's going to get elected in that area as a Democrat if they're not really strong on trade issues. So credit where it's due. On trade, he's good. But on health care, is he good? No. On taxes, is he good? And certainly not as good as the likes of Bernie Sanders. So 
it's a little weird that he's arguing, he's diagnosing the problem properly, but he's not, his answer is not the correct answer in terms of real lefty populism. His answer is more, you know, hey, I'm like a white working class dude, so forget the details of my policies. I'm from the region, so shut the fuck up and I'm the answer. So his talking points there were strong. His argument was strong, but he's having people fill in the blank with what that means to get those workers back. And when, when, when you fill in the blank with what he actually believes, that's not the answer to get those people back. So, but either way, there was a lot of that coming from Tim Ryan early on. So he really looked like a strong candidate. But then, but then, he made the mistake of wandering like a wounded deer into some unfamiliar territory where he doesn't know Dickie McGee's axe. And, you know, this area I'm referring to is foreign policy. So look at what happened with him and Tulsi Gabbard. This might be the most interesting and powerful back and forth of the night.
the Taliban will grow and they will have bigger, bolder terrorist acts. We have got to have some presence there. The, the, the Taliban was around. there long before we came in. Yeah, and they were long yeah, before we exactly. came along and she was like hey Tim hey Tim you see that over there that's the barber shop you see that over there that's the local deli you see that over there bro that's the laundromat you know where you're at bitch you're in town I took you to town god damn I like how at the end he tries to bring up uh, Trump as if that's like a checkmate like, like oh you know who wants to withdraw from the world Donald Trump. Actually, no. He stayed in Iraq. He stayed in Afghanistan. He went to Syria. He's escalating and on the brink of war with Iran. He's bombing eight different countries. He did the opposite, you dipshit. Sure, he ran half the time on, oh, we should get out of these stupid wars. Maybe that's one of the reasons he won. But then he went right back on that when he got into office. And he hired John Bolton and Mike Pompeo and Gina Haspel and these terrible neocons. In the case of Gina Haspel, a literal torture. In the case of John Bolton, a literal war criminal. So um, that's not an argument. Like, oh, yeah? Right about Donald Trump. Everything she said there. I nearly jumped out of my seat and started fist pumping when she was like, the Taliban didn't attack us on 9-11, because he said that they did. He said that they did. And that shows you he doesn't know the difference. Now, after Tulsi corrected his ass, he quickly was like, oh, yeah, no, okay, fine, yeah, was they, but the Taliban um, protected al-Qaeda. But we've been in Afghanistan for 18 years. The Taliban, al-Qaeda is the terrorist group that attacked us. The Taliban is basically a guerrilla army. That's in Afghanistan and Pakistan. So they're not, they're not going out of their way to attack the United States of America. They're a menace in their own region. Don't get me wrong. They do terror attacks in their own region. They're not about to attack Toledo, Ohio, dog. It's not going to happen. And we've been there for 18 years. How long do you want to be there for? That's the question Tulsi should have asked him. She did a wonderful job. I give her an A-plus for that back and forth. But that's definitely one of the things that should be asked of him. Hey, Tim Ryan... We've been there 18 years. At what point would you declare victory and come home? Now, if he's being honest, what will he say? He'll give the Lindsey Graham answer. You don't leave. No, you don't leave. You stay there forever. But then hold on. You were just doing your whole fake populist tap dance where you were saying, you know, oh, we've got to look out for the working man and the state where I'm from. And No, you're right. We do have to do that. But one of the first steps in doing that is, 
save trillions of dollars by not doing stupid, illegal, offensive wars of aggression. That's like one of the first steps to saving the money and then taking that money and reinvesting it in jobs, reinvesting it in infrastructure, in healthcare, in education, in things that would help regular people. So listen, Tim Ryan, after this, his campaign released a statement on his Twitter account. And they doubled down on the Taliban thing. Oh, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why would you do that? And then in the answer, they try to smear Tulsi and they're like, something, something, Bashar Assad. Oh, God. Ah! So do you understand this? The person who's for getting out of the illegal offensive wars where Americans are dying, civilians are dying, and we're wasting trillions of dollars, that person is being smeared, and that person is being treated like they're crazy. The person who just called for perpetually staying in an 18-year-long war where the Taliban is even more powerful today than it was when we went in there, so obviously what we're doing is not working, but that guy is acting like, nailed it, bro, I nailed it, no big deal. It's just so, see, he's just like grandfathers in U.S. imperialism. Like, what do you mean? We have to stay engaged. That's not even an argument. That's not a point. We have to stay engaged. What does that mean? Why? For what? The whole reason that, you know, we were told we have to go into Afghanistan is we got to get Osama bin Laden, dog. He attacked us on 9-11. The dude's been dead for how long now? Well over five years, right? Maybe maybe approaching 10 years now, right? He's been dead for so long. Mission accomplished. The whole reason for going into Iraq was, well, we got to get Saddam Hussein. He's been dead for so long, too. Why are we still there? They, they used to lie to us. Now they don't even bother lying to us. Originally, it was, we got to go into Iraq because of, uh, you know, Saddam uh, worked with Osama bin Laden. No, we didn't. That was false. Then they moved the goalpost to, well, Saddam has weapons of mass destruction that he might use on us. <clears throat> that wasn't true either. That was total, total bullshit. Then they finally moved the goalpost to what? Saddam's a bad guy. He's a bad dictator, so we have to take him out. Well, we helped him when he was at the height of his atrocities, when he was the worst dictator imaginable. That's when we were giving him weapons and supporting him. So then uh, they moved the goalpost towards the very end to nothing. They moved it like four times. The last time was just, shut the fuck up. We're staying there. and We don't care what you have to say. Doesn't matter what you say. Hey, he's dead. Hey, it had nothing to do with 9-11. Hey, we've already been there for, what, 15 years? Um, can we go now? Shut the fuck up. Now we're staying there. We're not even going to give you a reason. We're just going to stay there. That's Tim Ryan. Tim, Ryan. Tim, we have to be engaged, Ryan. Fuck that shit. You're not even making a point. You're not even making an argument. By the way, that is literal what I just told you, that the Taliban today is more powerful than they were when we initially invaded. So that is just empirical proof that what we're doing has not worked. And it's just flushed trillions of dollars down the toilet, killed civilians over there, and killed U.S. soldiers for no goddamn reason. Tim Ryan is a clown. Tim Ryan is a joke. Tulsi Gabbard destroyed him there. And um, by the way, I think that this was the exchange that totally changed Tulsi's night. Because Tulsi, I don't think she was doing well before this point. She was pretty tepid. She wasn't aggressive. Sometimes she just didn't answer the question, which I'll get to that story in a second, because I didn't like that answer, and I want to show you, you that and critique her on that. But um, this was, she knocked it out of the park here, and I think this led to 
what we saw, which is Tulsi was the number one search candidate, um, where on Google more people were looking up Tulsi than any other candidate on stage. So I think it's all because of this. So you need more of this from Tulsi, more aggression, more telling it like it is, drop the politics, drop the slow talking, drop the script, um, because this put her on the map. So uh, good job, and I can't believe Tim Ryan released a statement where he doubled down and made an ass of himself even further. And the opposite was the case with Tim Ryan. He was doing so well, and then he ruined all of it when he portrayed himself as the war guy. Now you're the war guy, and that immediately contradicted everything you said about trying to be like the working class guy. So you just shit the bed, son, and it might be time for you to drop out. covered the story where Tulsi Gabbard obliterated Tim Ryan on the issue of Afghanistan. Um, That happened later on in the debate. For at least the first half of the debate, I don't think Tulsi was doing well. And I want to give you a perfect example here of the slow start that I'm talking about. This was the first time she was asked a question. And look at her response. And I'll tell you from my perspective, 
and, you know, I, I know it's the case with at least some other people. I have pet peeves in these debates. One of my pet peeves is when they get out there and they awkwardly wave at the crowd and act like they have friends out there. Ah! <laughs> oh! <laughs> okay, don't do that. That's stupid. That's really stupid. The other thing I can't stand is when, whenever they're asked a question, they thank the moderator for the question. All right, Chuck. Well, first of all, thank you for that question. I really appreciate that. Just shut the fuck up and answer the question, bro. So, what are you doing? Stop. 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 If I ever ran for president, my first two things I would do is not randomly and awkwardly wave at people in the crowd and not thank debate moderators for the questions. And on that alone, I would win the election. Um, but those are two things. The other thing is I don't like it when people interject, especially in a way that's just like insufferable and unbearable and over the top. I mean, it's okay if you have to get your point out and you're doing it where you have some wherewithal and self-perception. But when people interject, like, and they just kind of try to railroad it like uh, Delaney did, it was just unbearable. The other thing I don't like is when people don't answer the question. Now, by the way, I think that, an- that question is stupid. I do, because it's a Democratic primary debate. Is no- it, what do you think? Somebody on stage is going to be like, I, for one, believe that women should be paid less than men, and here's why. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to do that. I mean, you might as well have a question at the debate. Does 2 plus 2 equal 4? Let's talk about that. Why? We already, everybody on that stage is for equal pay for women and men for equal work. Full stop. Full stop. So I think the question is a little ridiculous. But putting that aside, you've got to at least answer it a little bit and then give a segue. You went right into war bad. So I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I would advise Tulsi to always answer the question. Just as a human being, you come across as a more relatable, normal person if you're just like, if there's some connection to what is happening around you. And that looked like totally disconnected and bizarre. So I like Tulsi. That's why I'm doing this segment, because I think this is like really indicative of the slow start that she had, where she seemed kind of aloof and disconnected and doing her own thing and not like aware of what's going on around her. And this is just a perfect example of that. So she saved her night big time with the end where she destroyed Tim Ryan on the issue of Afghanistan. But um, from now on, answer the question. And that goes for everybody, not just Tulsi, but answer the goddamn question. Because that's like politician bullshit 101 is like, I'm just going to say what I want. Well, then why is there a fucking moderator? Why is there a host? <laughs> like, no, answer the question. However you want to address it, address it. But fucking address it. So, anyway, I had to do this segment. I like Tulsi, but that, I couldn't stand that answer. Um, but I am happy she redeemed herself by taking Tim Ryan to town repeatedly. Let's go to John Delaney, because he's the worst candidate, and it's funny. So John Delaney and Beto O'Rourke probably tied for the worst candidates of the first debate, in my opinion. Um, 
And what you're about to see is like one of the most absurd moments from Delaney. He's asked about how the left can work with Mitch McConnell, and his answer is infuriating. Congressman Delaney, you seem to believe you can do everything in a bipartisan manner. Um, Mitch McConnell doesn't operate that way. He operates differently. Why do you think he is going to conform to your side? I think we, we need to get things done. That's why I believe we need to operate in a bipartisan manner. Listen, I'll sign into law bills that come to the White House that are passed on a, on a party-line basis, absolutely. But all the big transformative things we've ever done in this country's history have happened when huge majorities of the American people get behind them, which is why we need real solutions, not impossible promises. We need to put forth ideas to work, whether it's on health care, creating universal health care so that every American gets health care, but not running on making private insurance illegal. The gun issue is related, the gun safety issue is related because I can't tell you how many times I've been with folks in Western Maryland and they've said to me, you know, Democrats don't do anything for us, Republicans don't do anything for us. You fight all the time, so they vote on that single issue. Okay. If we become the party of getting things done I understand. for the American people, that's where the real solutions are not a promises, Sorry. we'll be I able to get all The question was about working with Mitch McConnell in a bipartisan way. Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell. And he seriously responded that bipartisanship is good. Big change happens through bipartisanship. We need to get things done. And he even references the issues of universal health care and guns. Again, the question was, how will you work with Mitch McConnell? And John Delaney sincerely believes Mitch McConnell will work with him towards universal health care and gun regulation. That's the dumbest motherfucker on the stage, bro. That's the dumbest motherfucker on the stage. Do you realize how disconnected from reality you have to be to make that point? Did you know that after one of the massive mass shootings, I forget which one because they happen so frequently, but Obama and the Democrats proposed a background check bill. Now, I didn't say universal background check bill. I said background check bill. I left out the word universal on purpose because it wasn't universal. It was a totally watered-down, symbolic, nothing piece of legislation that just ever so slightly increased regulation to stop, like, the worst of the worst maniacs from getting weapons and killing people. Not only did Mitch McConnell block it and slap it down, he then went on Twitter and bragged that he did so. This is an issue where 93% of the American people agreed that we need universal background checks, not just background checks, universal background checks. Majority Democrats, majority Republicans, majority of NRA members, bro! And Mitch McConnell blocked it and then bragged about blocking it. This is the kind of person that we're dealing with. Barack Obama proposed Romney Care. He proposed the individual mandate system that was popularized by the Heritage Foundation, which is a right-wing think tank. It's a plan that's so right-wing that it keeps the for-profit health insurance companies in charge, 
And Newt Gingrich and Chuck Grassley used to support it back in the 1990s. That's how right-wing Obamacare is, the Affordable Care Act. What happened? Zero Republicans voted for it. Zero. It was their idea, John Delaney. And they turned on it because a Democrat proposed it. And they started pretending it's socialist takeover of health care and that it's going to kill your grandma and there's fucking death panels. Zero Republicans voted for it, you fucking moron. You know, I think bipartisanship is good. Bipartisanship is not good by definition. How many times do I have to say this? The details matter. So when Joe Manchin gets together with an asshole senator uh, from Kentucky, a Republican, and they work together, and they deregulate Wall Street further, that's bipartisan. Is that a good thing? No! When Democrats and Republicans agree to give Donald Trump more illegal NSA spying powers, that's bipartisan. Is that good? No! When they get together to agree to do more war, is that good? No! Now, on the flip side, when Bernie Sanders and Rand Paul get together and they say, hey, maybe we shouldn't arm Saudi Arabia as they do a genocide in Yemen, is that good? Yes. So the details matter when it comes to bipartisanship. But here's what I can guarantee you. Every time Mitch McConnell is involved in some legislation, it's wrong. It's not correct. The legislation is fucked up and terrible for the American people. So for your answer to be, well, I want to work together with Mitch McConnell and just know that we need to get things done and that big change is always bipartisan and we need universal health care and guns and I'll work with Mitch McConnell and get stuff done. That ain't going to happen, dog. How dumb do you have to be? Uh, did you just come to politics yesterday? The correct answer is, I will crack Mitch McConnell's skull on the sidewalk and chew his brain on national TV and force him to bend to my will. And if he doesn't bend to my will, I will politically destroy him. There will be no more Mitch McConnell. He will be out of politics. Because I will do everything in my power to make sure he loses his next election. I will do everything in my power to make sure that the people of Kentucky knows that he's their enemy. I will bring his record up and show it directly to their faces and be crystal clear about how their lives have been worse off as a result of Mitch McConnell. This is how you play politics. This is how you fight. You go and you do rallies and you get the people on your side and you harness the leverage of people power and use it to get the proper policies implemented that help the people, policies like Medicare for All and free college and a living wage. But John Delaney doesn't support any of those. John Delaney's, I'm Mr. Centrist. You know what a centrist like John Delaney does? He agrees with Republicans on doing Republican priorities. That's what he does. So now you know. He said he worked with Mitch McConnell in a bipartisan way to get universal health care and guns. Ugh. And by the way, he's wrong about like, oh, big change is always bipartisan. No, big change always happens because of the people. The people saying, do it or else. Look at FDR. Look at what FDR did with the New Deal. Do you think the political establishment was like, oh, sure, we'll work together with him on this. It'll be lovely. No, he famously said, I welcome their hatred. Because you have to fight and you have to take them on. It's not about just holding hands and singing kumbaya. Listen, if there are a few issues where we agree, fine, hold hands and sing kumbaya. But with assholes like Mitch McConnell, the overwhelming majority of the time, he's screwing over regular people and working for his donors. You have to fight him. John Delaney is the worst. Him and Bet on My Stork failed the worst. Okay. 
we are going to go to Cory Booker, and then we're going to finish with their answers to the biggest threat facing the U.S. So this next clip I'm going to show you is Cory Booker refusing to enter back into the Iran deal. Um, you're also going to see Tulsi's good answer on this, and then the media's persistent right-wing framing. Watch. We're, we're going to talk about Iran right now because we're working against the clock. Tankers have been attacked. A U.S. drone has been shot down. There have been disturbing threats issued by both the U.S. and Iranian leadership. I'd like, if you can, just for a moment, to put aside how you think we may have gotten here. But what I want to know is how do you dial it back? So a show of hands, who as president would sign on to the 2015 nuclear deal as it was originally negotiated? Iran deal. It wasn't Iran who did it. We did it. 
Uh, Iran followed it even as recently as last month. They're still following it because Europe is also following the agreement still. The U.S. re-sanctioned Iran, including on medicine, and people are dying because they can't get their medicine. That's economic warfare. The U.S. is trying to force Iranian oil exports to zero and implode their economy. Again, economic warfare. We're doing all this to them. We have overthrown their government in the past. And none of this is brought up about how maybe we're the aggressors. None of it's brought It's all framed from a right-wing perspective. So that drives me crazy. Tulsi's answer was good. Cory Booker is disqualified. Every, nobody should take Cory Booker seriously now. Because he's, oh, yeah, I would want a better deal. What's a better deal? What's a better deal? Everybody else on stage said they'd re-enter that nuclear agreement. Cory Booker said no. What's a better agreement? The reality is he's an APAC candidate, okay? That's what it is. The reality is he ain't going to get a better deal. He's going to keep the status quo going and let the military-industrial complex for their war with Iran. He might even sit back and let it happen. So that is a disqualifying answer, and everybody needs to know it. All right, final story. I might go a few minutes over here. I don't know if you guys will hear me because it's going to cut off in two minutes, the stream. But uh, that's okay. This will be on YouTube soon, so no big deal. Here we go. Last question. Boom, shakalaka, bitch. And by the way, live tweeting the debate tonight as well. Follow along with me at Kyle Kalinsky, and we'll do a show tomorrow to break it down at 2 again. So the candidates last night were asked about the biggest threat facing the United States, and I wanted to show you their answers. What is the biggest threat to you? What is, who is the geopolitical threat to the United States? Just give me one word answer, Congressman Delaney. Can you repeat the question? The greatest geopolitical threat to the United States right now, Congressman Delaney. Well, the biggest uh, geopolitical challenge is China, but the okay. biggest geopolitical threat yes. remains nuclear weapons. Okay, right. so those are different, you know, those I got are different it. questions. Totally get it. Go ahead, Governor Inslee. The biggest threat to the security of the United States is Donald Trump. <laughs> the greatest threat that we face is the risk of nuclear war today than ever before in history. Congress, Congress, uh, Senator threats, economic threats, China, but our, our major threat right now is what's going on in the Mideast with Iran if we don't. answer was so gross, I feel like I need a shower. Okay, so um, of those answers, here are the ones that I find acceptable. Um, Nuclear war being the biggest threat, that's always a gigantic threat, and climate change. I find those two answers acceptable answers. Um, I don't like the way they asked that question because they literally tried to keep them to just like one or two words, and that's not serious. Like, you need to have them explain it a little bit. I get the idea of having time limits. You want to give them like a two-minute cap? That's fine. But two words, that's just too, it's too silly. Like, they're running to be the most powerful person in the world, and it's just ridiculous. So uh, my answer to that question would have been weird, but I would have needed more than one or two words. I would have needed at least a minute to explain. But I think the biggest threat is ourselves, and it's corruption and money in politics. It's our broken, corrupt system, because it's the money in the political system 
that then leads to all the other issues being fucked up. The reason we're not acting on climate change is because of money from the oil industry and the fossil fuel industry and how they bought our politicians. The reason we're doing endless war is because of the military-industrial complex and how they bought our politicians and bought our political process. The reason we're not moving on having good tax policy and domestic policy and a living wage is because of Wall Street and corporate America. So it always links back to corruption and money in politics. So really, the biggest threat is the status quo. It's the corruption. It's the money in politics. It's the bribery, the legalized bribery. That's the biggest threat. But you can't say that in one or two words. So in lieu of that answer being the one that I think they should have given, um, climate change and nuclear war are two legit answers. I'm a little surprised that uh, uh, Tulsi didn't go with military-industrial complex. That would have been badass if she said that. But nonetheless, again, climate change, nuclear war were the two acceptable answers. I don't like the China answer. I don't like the Russia answer. I don't like the Donald Trump answer because it paints it too much as like he's the only problem. No, he's part of the problem. Um, but, you know, also the system that led to him is the problem, and we can't act like that was perfect. Okay, we're done here, baby. I'll see you all tonight with my live tweet session. Later, we'll see you back here tomorrow as well. Peace.